Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome as September approaches and we get some real football. Tonight is the MRC Fantasy Football League draft. We all know our chief technology officer, Eric Perel, will unleash his usual trash talk about how he will all dominate all dimensions of space. But hey, it's my boy Ben, who's won the Office League two of the last three seasons. I never win, so I'll just bask in the boys' victories. For good luck, I am wearing today my late dad's Packers Blitz polo shirt with the gym on it. My dad was Slim Jim before they made Slim Jims. Uh, I'd like to begin today by talking about something that happened over the weekend, the 60th anniversary of Martin Luther King's March on Washington. This underlines once again something we've found for many, 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 many years, and that is the dramatic bias in coverage of protests. When conservatives assemble in large numbers, your so-called liberal media will either ignore it entirely, as the uh, March for Life has often received in January after January, or they treat it like the spread of a political plague. Mask up, the conservatives are in town. Somehow we can't be idealistic. We can only be described as a backlash or a white lash or an effort to prevent history from landing on the right side. Some protests, like this one, seek to exploit history. You know, we have that whole picture of Martin Luther King saying, I have a dream. And he had a dream where people would be judged not by their skin color, but by the content of their character. Obviously, that has gone sideways. People can't handle that vision anymore. That is not the way the left works today. So this one was the usual motley collection of leftists running down America as systematically racist, sexist, and anti-gay, born-again bigots go away or whatever. The obvious, you know, counter-argument to anybody trying to say this has anything to do with MLK is this is an Al Sharpton organized protest. So this is all about grievance. You notice they always say that the Trump people are all about grievance. You know who's all about grievance? Sharpton and the NAACP and the Black Lives Matter crowd. Everything they do is based on grievance. Oh, but it's the right kind of grievance. Well, you know, just as they don't really love the MLK of 1963 anymore on the left, whether it's Michael Eric Dyson or Charles Blow, they like the MLK of 1968, shortly before King was tragically assassinated. Uh, Charles Blow had a spot on Sunday mornings on CBS, and he celebrated, you know, King's growth and evolution. When you go to the left, you've evolved. He fully evolved out of that silliness, let's not judge people by their skin color. On ABC, Faith Abube was there to do the usual publishers or publicists version of events. Listen. 
60 years ago, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. stood right there and gave that iconic I Have a Dream speech in front of an estimated 250,000 demonstrators. And today, a new generation is back here to carry that torch forward. Back in 1963, this fight was mainly about civil rights and voting rights. Well, organizers say today, this fight is in part about voter suppression, housing discrimination, police and racial violence, racial disparities when it comes to employment, education, and other basic civil rights. The 60th anniversary of the March on Washington is, of course, happening in the wake of some controversial U.S. Supreme Court rulings in which affirmative action, student debt relief, and abortion rights were all gutted in recent terms. So well, today, we're expecting activists from across the spectrum, representing Latinos, Asian Americans, the Jewish community, advocates for reproductive rights and for people with disabilities to all join the march today. So, you know, obviously, this is one of those things where we have this idealistic march back at a time where blacks really didn't have full civil rights. And that's what MLK brought was the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, and so on. Well, and then that led, lead, led to what they call affirmative action. That used to be one of my most unfavorite terms the media uses. It's so incredibly nebulous. Who can be against affirmative action? I mean, it's more nebulous than clean air and clean water. I'm going to go out and mow the lawn. It's affirmative action. It's <laughs> okay. Yeah, just 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 to say, there's been this is what they do. They've gutted affirmative action. They've ruined student debt relief. You know, the, the, just the terms they use are so annoying. But here's the other thing you noticed that Faith Abube did. As Alex Christie noticed, the uh, uh, they always go to this. Oh, it's diverse. It's a spectrum. It's Latinos. It's the Jewish community. It's Asian Americans. It's quote unquote advocates for reproductive rights and people with disabilities. Oh, and for people aborting babies with disabilities. <laughs> they do this all the time. They will basically try to say, oh, look, there's it's so diverse. No, it's not. It's a leftist protest where everybody who comes is a leftist. They would think it's preposterous if you would say, oh, and here comes the march against abortion and such a diverse cast of people from all different states and different kinds of Christianity and whatever. And they would be like, no, it's a big blob of evil people. But this is, it's that whole, when they champion the diversity, you know it's a leftist protest. So, I mean, it's the same thing where we all know the way they do this. If there's any violence at a protest, on the liberal side, it's mostly peaceful. And on the conservative side, it's an insurrection or a riot. Now, nobody should be for riots. But they didn't break out mostly peaceful for January 6th. And when anybody sort of suggests that, the left jumps all over it. Fact check! January 6th was not mostly peaceful. Well, it wasn't all peaceful. But most of the protesters were not violent. This is exactly the game they play at riots after George Floyd. Well, gee, most of the protesters didn't burn down the CVS. Yes. So you're obviously, again, you're all about being a publicist. I'm going to spin the leftist protest in the most positive way. 
and the conservative protest is horrible. Also on the weekend, uh, we you know we went after Jen Psaki on Friday when we were on Newsmax for her completely dishonest debate night tweet about somehow no one among the Democrats being in favor of late-term abortions. Our Kevin Tober was watching the Jen Psaki show on Sunday. She did it again. She did it on television. Listen. At the end of the day, the point here is that no one is rooting for late-term abortions. No one is running on the platform of aborting viable babies. No one is selling late-term abortions as Ron DeSantis claims. No one. Not Joe Biden, not Kamala Harris, not Hillary Clinton, not Nancy Pelosi, or any other politician demonized by the right wing. Roots for more late-term abortions. None of them do. What is happening here is an attempt by Republican presidential candidates and other leaders who know their views on women's health care are out of touch with the public. This is simply false. No one's selling late-term abortions. No one's running on a platform of aborting viable babies. Wrong! The Democrat platform of 2020 clearly states we're against all barriers to reproductive rights. There's no finding an emanation or a penumbra in there. You're for abortion for any reason at any time in a pregnancy. That is the official Democrat position. So don't get on here and spread this misinformation. Nobody's in favor of aborting viable babies. So she has to say, oh, this is just people who have views on quote-unquote women's health care who are out of touch with the public. You know what? If everybody's so in favor of of abortion, why are you calling it women's health care? It's not babies' health care. They end up dead. Then, in the annals of ridiculousness, Planned Parenthood went around tweeting out that the entire term, late-term abortions, is somehow made up. Talk about being in denial. These are people, obviously, that perform some late-term abortions and then sell the body parts for cash. Late-term abortions is a made-up term. (laughs) Where are the fact-checkers? You know, we know where the fact-checkers are. They're firmly on the left. All right, speaking about some post-debate reaction, Clay Waters was watching Washington Week on PBS. You know nobody from Fox News ever makes Washington Week because that's not what it's for. PBS is a liberal sandbox, and it's really sandboxy on Friday nights. Just like the Friday night news hour roundup is two liberals, one claiming to be somehow conservative or moderate. Everybody on Washington Week is on the left because that's the way it works. In this particular episode on PBS, one of the guests was NPR political director Domenico Montanaro. He doesn't have an Italian accent. I just want to say it that way. It's my version of Fulkin Flick. Domenico Montanaro was on to talk about the Republican base. The Republican base now is just openly racist. Trump has won the battle. Everybody gets to say openly racist things and they're totally unashamed about it. Now, my whole problem with this is why don't you give us some specifics? What was it actually that they said that was racist? We never hear. Just take a listen as they talk about all the racist things conservatives are saying. 
You've been talking to Republican-based voters quite a bit. What patterns are you hearing when you talk to them? Well, you know, I mentioned earlier talking about having covered the Tea Party. And, you know, when I was out on the campaign trail and talking to Tea Party activists and whatever, people who would attend these things, Sometimes they would slip and say something very offensive, and often they'd say, oh, you know, that was off the record. Um, you know, make sure that's, that my name's not attached to that. I am not finding that to be the case anymore. Trump has won the case against political correctness. As he, you know, we don't hear about it anymore because he's really kind of taken down that wall. I mean, just a voter that I spoke to earlier this year, um, someone who had participated in one of our surveys, you know, started talking about something that really wound up being pretty racist and was totally fine and out there and talking about it. And I was just like, this is a total change. This is not something that um, is, has been traditionally the way things go. This shame factor in being able to feel like we're part of polite society mm -hmm. and I shouldn't really feel that way and I get it. Mm -hmm. It's just Trump has given license to a lot of people to feel a lot of ways and be able to say what they want to say. They're, and when you hear people talk about free speech online, this is a part of what they're talking about. They're feeling more emboldened to say racist things in some cases. Yeah, polite society is something that they define as, are you saying things like you think liberals are in the room? Guess what? Liberals are not polite. I think we've made this point multiple times. Con liberal media, they love to say conservatives are racists. They're not polite about it. If they were polite, they might actually explain what it was that somebody said that was so openly racist. Here's my guess. Somebody said something like immigration is an invasion. That drives the leftists nuts. Vivek Ramaswamy used the word invasion in the debate, and NBCNews.com did this piece about how he was basically a white nationalist. He was using talking points from neo-Nazis, say our experts, and experts who say dramatically impolite things like this are not described as leftists. They are merely experts. I don't use the term for invasion for people coming across the border because they generally don't come with, you know, like they're invading the consulate in Benghazi, right, with weapons. Although some of them come with fentanyl, you know. So, I mean, it, I don't use the term invasion, but obviously it, we could call it an incursion. Certainly, if, if a bunch of Hondurans went across the border into Nicaragua, they call it, you know, the diplomats call it an incursion. Um, but what we have is, they'll call it now a migrant crisis because there's so many of them in cities like New York. Then it's suddenly a migrant crisis. But it's all about the migrants not getting all of their humanitarian needs met. This is, so, so much of the media bias is about terms. But, you know, on, we have PBS and NPR colluding to say, oh, yes, well, we know the Tea Party was racist. They're just more openly racist now. Speaking of NPR, our man Folkenflick. Yes, David Folkenflick filed a segment on NPR about CNN Max. This was after he did Fox News attacking segments 45 and 46. We're up to 46 in the first eight months of 2023. And, you know, he always tries to bring up stuff like the Dominion voting systems lawsuit to basically say Fox is falling apart. He's not going to try to tell you CNN's falling apart. In fact, this was so promotional, I found Folkenflik 
was actually softer than Oliver Darcy. Oliver Darcy, at least, feels some responsibility at the CNN media unit to say, oh, well, actually, Warner Brothers stock isn't doing great. Our ratings aren't so hot. Fulcan Flick was going to say none of that. Now, on Saturday morning, I tweeted the latest Fox News thing on the Bidens and uh, at Fulcan Flick, and I said, oh, sorry, I forgot. Your quote-unquote news executives said Hunter Biden's influence peddling with his dad was a quote-unquote pure distraction. Now, David sent back a tweet with a gif of Wiley Coyote punching a clock. He was professing admiration I was working on a Saturday morning. Yeah, that's what I do, pal. I tweet out stuff on Saturday mornings. Sometimes on Saturday nights, sometimes on Sunday mornings. I kind of work weekends, at least when I'm picking on Falcon Flick. But gosh, you know, you could report on CNN in a somewhat less promotional way. You know you could. You just chose not to. Let's wrap with what's going on with Trump. We, the, uh, the big news today was that the judge in the January 6th case pitched, picked a trial date of March 4. This is a day before Super Tuesday. Rich Lowry, the top guy at National Review, tweeted, This is insane timing and perfectly suited to lending credence to charges of election interference precisely because it will interfere with the conduct of an election. Correct. This entire process of multiple indictments is a big, massive train of election interference. Now, that's not to say that you couldn't indict or try someone just because they're running for president. But guess what? That used to be the rule. Let's go back to 2016. James Comey said, well, you, I would recommend we never indict Hillary Clinton as long as she's running for president. And now you indict Trump because he's running for president. I think we know Donald Trump had, you know, admitted defeat at Thanksgiving of 2020 and walked away and retired to Mar-a-Lago in Bedminster and just sent out the occasional hostile truth social message. He wouldn't have four indictments. Just a guess. But, you know, the people, the journalists now are trying to say that this story is surreal, like after the mugshot. This is bonkers. You know, this sounds like sales language to me because if you are a seasoned observer of Trump and you've been at this for eight years, you would not find it surreal that he would put his mugshot on coffee mugs and T-shirts. You could predict that stuff from a mile away. I just hear the old Hollies tune. Mugshot, mugshot, Trump's big buckshot looks at all the moolah. Right? I mean, you know he's going to do that. You might not like it, but it's classic Trump. Besides, if this process is bonkers, these journalists should take some responsibility for the insanity since they've been driving hard for years toward impeaching and removing, convicting and jailing. They are a part of this process. They all have the choice to decide we are actually not reporting on Trump much. They could decide not to do that. They would say, well, we can't do that now that he's had four indictments. Well, in other cases, they've indicted or, or forced a plea deal out of somebody on the Democrat side. They pretend that doesn't exist. You know, all these Biden developments happen. 
Uh, the the uh, Ukrainian prosecutor Shokin gets an interview with Fox News and Brian Kilmeade. They're all going to ignore that that happened. They can't possibly ignore anything happening with Trump. They're going to get every little piece of it. They've shown the lust they have to trying to destroy any political appeal he might have. And then they sort of get frustrated that all their attempts to destroy his appeal end up adding to his appeal. Well, there's one way you could try to fix that if you were really serious instead of trying to make money off this like Trump does, right? CNN and MSNBC and all these people use Trump for ratings and clicks. They could all try to ignore him. And then the question is, yes, if you ignored him, would his poll ratings go down? We don't know because they ain't never going to stop. I think if we know one thing that we can predict, they'll stay bonkers. Their coverage will seem surreal because, you know, you have days like today where it's like they're talking about Trump 37 times an hour. And the only time Biden comes up is to say, Joe and Jill Biden put out a tweet expressing sorrow for the Marines who died in a military training accident. You know, that's they cover Biden like he's king of America. He's just there to make statements and have a polite wave. This is the bias as we see it. That's why when you want to see how bad is it, you come to Newsbusters and find out once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for checking in.